you go and get booked. Hello, keynote speakers of the world. Let's get stuck in. You know who I am. My name's down the bottom of the screen. The company I own, run, and work with is Speakmark. Okay, so 2021 is knocking on our collective doors, and we have a few weeks of downtime ahead where we can really focus our attention on sales and marketing. Now, obviously, we're all going to kick back a little bit, but stay focused, people, because this is a really, really good time to reset your goals and focus on what you need to do next year, 2021, to get set. Now, I'm just reminded of a, a, an old adage here that goes, your mind is a garden, your thoughts are the seeds, you can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. Now, I'm, I'm sure you've heard that before. Uh, at one stage there, I, I was saying it so much that I thought I'd actually made it up myself. <laughs> but someone said, no, it's already been done. So great to have your company today. Um, we're gonna get through a bunch of stuff. Um, and when I'm run dry of stuff, then that's when the show ends. So I don't know when it's gonna go, uh, 50 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour or an hour and a half. But let's get going. So 2021 is gonna be an epic year of growth and success for many of you. And I can predict, I have a crystal ball, who will succeed and who will not succeed by one characteristic of your business. And we're gonna go through a little bit about that now. So Gary Vee said recently that patience is the core ingredient to success for most people in business. Now this should not be confused with lack of action. In fact, more often than not, that is the root of the lack of bookings for keynote speakers. And it can be things like analysis paralysis, you know, trying to get it right, everything, your ducks all lined up. I'm not good enough, I'm too scared, I don't have time, I don't know how. I'm not that active on LinkedIn, I'm just sort of, you know, oh, that's not an excuse. I mean, you've basically got to get stuck in here. I mean, if you're really serious about becoming a top flight keynote speaker, or if you are a keynote speaker that is kind of getting there, but just needs to go over the top to push that little bit harder, some of the things we're gonna teach you today are gonna to help you to do that. Now, simply because it takes years to get your shit together to the point where you are just damn bookable. It takes a longer time than you want it to. And one thing I know about keynote speakers is, and I've said this before, they want it all. They want it now. But you can't have it right now. You have to work your booty off. So if you're not getting the results you want right now, chin up. I mean, let's face it, the pandemic pretty well crushed the event space over the last 12 months, which has made running a keynote speaking business a very ordinary conveyance throughout 2020. And for those of you who have been in the course for quite some time, I'm pretty sure you understand that some of the things that we've taught you um, obviously have come to a grinding halt, uh, but there are others that we've been talking about for the last six to eight months around social selling and working your LinkedIn profile to a point where you are getting connected with the right people, then those of you that have been doing that have been planting seeds, the right sort of seeds for a crop to grow somewhere down the line. You've got to grow the crop, water the seeds, and watch those babies come up. Now, one thing I'm trying to do today is not to say, um. I mean, I've said um, three million times throughout my podcast or live streams, and I'm trying so hard not to do it. So I'm happy if you count the number of times I say um today. I'm trying really hard not to do it, but it's just one of those things. And I've noticed other people I've had on my shows uh, do the same thing. And I think it's just one of those, and I'd usually go, but I'm trying to pause. One of those things where we can be mindful of it and try and eradicate it, but it's always gonna pop up now and then again because when we're live like this or when we're doing a podcast, we are under a little bit of pressure. But it's good to know that you have someone like me saying it's not great, it doesn't come across as something that is good for listeners one or two is okay, but saying that word over and over again, um, it's, it's, not, it's not the greatest thing. And you will look back at your videos or you will listen to your podcast and you go, my God, I'm saying erm too much. So hopefully I don't slip back into it when my mind slips off into you know normal overdrive. 
Okay, so you can blame the pandemic or prior to the pandemic, speaker bureaus for not booking you, for a manager or agent not hitting the pavement hard enough for you, but really it comes down to your own efforts. What you do each day, how much time you grind it out. I mean, are you consistent? Do you have a good few weeks and then you take the foot off for whatever reason? If you do, it will impact your business. So the patience factor is really key and the most successful keynote speakers are working on their sales and marketing long after you have put your feet up. I get a bird's eye view of Matthew Pollard's business and Keith Abraham's to a lesser extent and both of whom Michelle and I are working with in the US space and they're both relentless. I mean sure they're working with us on their speaker booking pipeline you know through LinkedIn and some other areas but they're working on many other sales and marketing tracks of their own volition. They're not waiting around for Michelle and I to pull a rabbit out of the hat. They're in day in, day out, spending more time in every hour, in every day, in every month, in every year, and that is the secret to their success. Now sure, those two speakers are incredibly gifted keynote speakers in their own right, but without the grind and grit, their success would not be anywhere near what they have both respectively reached. It's just one of those things where I watch them and I go, wow, you know, I, I can't believe it. They are, they are driven, I think that is the word. They are driven by their sales and marketing process. They don't let anything else get in the way. That is their main focus and they stay on track 100% of the time. So let me tell you a story um, about the mindset of a sales extraordinaire. And I've called it the 17 year story by Keith Abraham. We had Keith Abraham on Motivational Mythbusters a little while back and he recounted the story to us about a prospect that he chased for 17 years. Now you would think to yourself 17 years but for 17 years Keith sent an email or something to them every year probably a couple of times a year knowing Keith because he has a system set up in the back end of his business. It's a sales and marketing system that he's been working for you know, close to 20 years. So every year, Keith sent this person and they'd say the same thing over and over again. No thanks, thanks a lot for your help, thanks for your message, but we don't have anything for you. On the 17th year of Keith reaching out to this particular company, it's a large company, they asked him, actually I think they sent him an email and said, we'd like you to come and speak for us. Well, maybe Keith nearly fell off his chair, whatever it was, but you know, obviously that just tells the story of persistence and patience paying off. Now since the time Keith has worked with this company, he has done over a million dollars in licensing with that company. So was the 17 year investment in time worth it? it was I think it definitely was I mean if you could find a way of you know maybe spending a couple of minutes uh, every month or every year in sending something to someone and then getting paid a million dollars for that that's a pretty good return and you won't find an investment like that anywhere else so the mindset of a sales extraordinaire is the long game. You must play the long game with your people. And this is why we go on so readily about you know using a CRM or using a system within the LinkedIn sales navigator space that is traceable, measurable, so it can be improved and acted upon on a regular basis. Without a CRM, without using sales nav and LinkedIn in a way that is a business savvy kind of a methodology behind it, it's impossible to actually keep track of these people who you've been re reaching out to like Keith was with his 17 year story. And I love that story. I think it's just a fantastic way of pointing out to you guys what is required. Now more recently, I've noticed that some speaker bureaus are becoming speaker coaches, okay? And that's fair enough because the pandemic has put a huge spanner in the works for agencies. But blow me down, the speaker bureau model is inbound in nature. It's a marketing strategy where many people look through 
hundreds of keynote speakers to make a choice or where a corporate company has a relationship with an account manager who also has a relationship with a bunch of regularly booked speakers that are safe for them, that they know if they send this speaker to the client, they'll get the client back next year. Now they're basically playing judge, jury and executioner based on factors which are not conducive to your bloody business. Now, if they can trust you, if they, sorry, if they can't trust you, they can't book you. Now, it reminds me of which came first, the chicken or the egg. So how do you get into that space? Well, it's tough and it's fair enough because they need to look after their business. There will always be a place for speaker bureaus. And, and I have many friends who either work or own a speaker bureau. I'm not condemning them. I'm rather pointing out that their model is not conducive to running a sustainable business for yourself. So just be a little bit careful about who, you, who you're getting your advice from in terms of how to run your speaker business. Be very careful. Now, if marketing is a medium where we use to attract many people, much like a bureau, because there's little outbound action at most speaker bureaus. Perhaps this has changed since the pandemic. Perhaps their exclusives received outbound sales efforts. I'm not sure. But regardless, it's an outbound sales model and it sorry it's an inbound sales model and it doesn't service all listed speakers equally and that is a fact because what happens is someone will call up and say i'm looking for a speaker of such and such now if you're listed on there and you haven't been booked before but you're the right person well the fact is that you know you're probably not going to get the work and that's what i mean by it's not a level playing field for everybody listed on their websites now, I'm sorry if I've offended anyone in that part of the industry, but, but you know I get really passionate about this. My whole focus is saving your fucking business, not worrying about what bureau owners think of me. You know, I, I, I have great respect for these people for what they do, but if we all go broke uh, going down that route, what's the use? You know, they play an important role in our industry, such as providing large corporates with one, a one-stop shop for supplier contracts. You know, with larger companies, it takes a few months to set supplier contracts up and they don't want a supplier contract with every speaker they hire. It makes sense for them to go to a, a bureau, but it's not a lock, stock and barrel hard, fast rule. If you're good enough, large companies will book you directly and they will take the time to put you on their preferred supplier list. Now, as I was saying, if marketing is a medium we use to attract many people, and go out to thousands of people, then sales is a medium that we do uh, the one-on-one -on -one dance with. Now, if there are many salespeople, we can do many sales. If there is one person, we can only do one sale at a time. And I want you to understand the difference between sales and marketing, why? Because that is where your focus needs to be in 2001, on LinkedIn, putting in place a consistent strategy to create conversations which lead us to a sale. Right, so if we get the messaging right and if we get our target audience right on LinkedIn, particularly with Sales Navigator, then we hit the mark every time and we create conversations. Conversations lead to building rapport. Building rapport leads to higher level conversations. Higher level conversations lead to bookings. It's as simple as that. So a good content strategy coupled with a daily LinkedIn outreach effort is by far the most economical and effective way for a canino for a keynote speaker to peddle their schizenhausen. So I can bet my bottom dollar that recent speaker bureaus uh, that are doing, you know, you know, turn your speaker bureau into this or turn your speaker, do not mention any of this, like conversational selling, social selling, or a good organic um, content strategy. Um, why? Because you only know what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, right? You, you basically follow the code. And if you're doing what you did 10 years ago, five years ago, or even two years ago, in late 2020 where we are, you've missed the bus, bucko. So whether or not um, some of these bureaus might get a lot of help having a look at what's happening in social selling, because I believe that is where the future is. And I think it's more in around the sales than it is around the mass marketing. Mass marketing is okay and it works in some areas of business. And you know, obviously if I had the money, I'd probably put $50,000 into an international marketing campaign for this particular program, why don't you go and get booked? Because I do believe it delivers value to people if they do the work that is required.
I mean, there are people's lives on the line here. There's more than just making money. You know, teaching keynote speakers, I have the total understanding that when they come to me and they spend money in the course that I provide, that I need to, you know, I need to help them, you know, run their business and, and make money from their business. Now, I love making money. Here's that money. We all do, but there's always there's always that thing in the back of my mind that if, if people are making money, uh, you know, spending money with me, I want to make sure that they get value for that money. We all love making money, right? That's why we're in business. But I just can't sit and watch and, and not let you know the facts. So once again, I apologize to any of my speaker bureau friends out there if I've uncovered your secrets or whatever it might be that you're trying to re-pivot and do something else. But, you know, you really have to be careful. So you need to learn and understand and activate your own sales and marketing strategies. Take responsibility. You know, be accountable to, for your, to yourself and take whatever comes from agencies or bureaus as a cherry on the cake. I'll do anything to assist you, particularly if you're part of the Why Don't You Go and Get Book team. I think most of you know that. But I'm talking to all keynote speakers here at every level. It's time to wake up, get up, and get active. And if you're already doing this, disregard everything I'm saying and get the fuck back to work. That's all I can say. <laughs> Off you go. You're done. If you're doing sales and marketing, you know, like 24 seven, um, and you're living and breathing it, then that is what you should have been doing in the first place and keep doing it. Don't listen to me. Okay, my guest today is um, Michael. Uh, now, I'm. you know that some of you are, are dyslexic, so I always have to check myself and uh, use the Bohannis rather than the Bohanus. Uh, so it's Michael Bohannis, and he'll be coming on in a little while. The reason I got Michael on is to show you exactly what I mean around conversational selling and social selling. We have much in common, Michael and I, with our strategies, and he is a very articulate and successful LinkedIn outreach coach who we can whole learn from and basically stay tuned because there are some fantastic stuff coming up now i'm just looking for my social media panel here because i'm sure i had a little click there from message from someone but i don't have that at the moment so i apologize if i'm not um, responding to you plus and when i see these things uh, pop up and people go oh just hang on a minute let me have a look at that it kind of they lose the flow all right let's talk about linkedin for a little to um segue into i think i used erm there so my apologies to segue into what Michael is going to talk about. Okay, I just want to talk about likes. Uh, they're very overrated. I've just uh, done two posts. And I won't tell you what they are, but one post has got, I think, 11 likes and nine comments, and the other post has got four likes and two comments. The post with four likes and two comments has got somewhere around about 400 views, and the other post with 11 likes and nine comments has got something like 200 views. And that is a good example of why likes are overrated. Um, now, for those of you in engagement hubs, I'm sorry, but you're dreaming. Unless you think 60 or 70 people you have supporting you on an ongoing basis are going to buy your services, you're sort of, it's, it's, it's just not happening from what I can see. I could, I could be wrong, but from what I can see online, I think it just looks too predictable anyway. The uh, see more text that pops up on your headline is much more worthy of your attention as it does affect the LinkedIn algorithm. And if people click this, um, you know, if they, people think, if, if, if they're clicking on that, if they're clicking on that, uh, hang on a second, I've got a few issues here because I need to wind down. Okay, if people are clicking on the see more space that pops up after your first few lines in LinkedIn, the algorithm clicks off more than it does around likes, okay? Just to give you the, give you the drum here. So if you wanna put a, um, if you wanna put a controversial first couple of lines in there, or something that's gonna grab people's attention, um, like call yourself a keynote speaker, ha, huh, or whatever it might be that someone will go, oh, what's that? The LinkedIn algorithm for the see more text, just under the text, does more for you than, than likes. So, I mean, you know, I was surprised when I saw that, but I've got that from a very good source. 
So use a killer line. That first line has to be, don't use the first thing that pops into your head. Put some thought into it and come up with a tension-grabbing line that will grab your viewer's attention and it'll make them click to see more. If you really want to get some mileage on LinkedIn also, connect with people who have a huge support base and write a comment on their post. I mean, this is free advertising space, right, for your profile, so use it. It's like a billboard, you know? Put something in there that's got relevance to that particular conversation and that person will probably like it and comment on it and other people will like it as well. I've been trying this out and we're, we're all trying to help each other out. When we're online doing LinkedIn, you know, looking to get a little bit more leverage from our comments and, and those sorts of things, just go on there and to these people that have got huge, I mean, you could even do it with Gary V, you know, like I know uh, I've, I've done it a few times with the amazing Shay Robottom because I'm such a big fan of what she's doing with video. And you know that I think video is king and where you can create video that is as good as what Shay's doing, I want to be involved in that conversation. I want to be, you know, active, actively around that because I think you're going to get more. As I said, they're like billboards. Add to the conversation, put some thought into your comments and try not to push your own agenda. Don't be putting your own, you know, website up there or something like that, but add to the conversation. All right, Sales Navigator, what an amazing tool. I mean, sure, it's a long way short of a robust CRM, but for those of you who are in the Why Don't You Go and Get Book course, we're currently putting together a lesson on how to get the best out of this tool. I mean, Michelle has basically squeezed every little last thing. She's been over every area of that tool. And we finally come up with a really effective, I mean, this is after hundreds of hours uh, on the platform, and we're still, actively working with a number of keynote speakers who we provide management services for by doing daily outreach and we do it daily why because it works and it's money in our pocket we wouldn't do it otherwise we wouldn't spend the hours we do um, constantly but you have to be consistent with it it has to happen quickly these things can't you can't send a message out and three weeks later get back to the person and expect to have the same engagement as you've got if you do it the day after you know, and, and we spend we spend our time, you know, like incessantly on LinkedIn doing, I mean, it's exciting. It's like, it's for me, it's like, you know, the old days when I had a really good list that I, of phone numbers that I could call and know that I was going to make some sales and it was in a different industry than this. But once I was given the list from Microsoft of their top, um, I think it was two and a half thousand customers in Australia and I was asked to call it and I was new in the IT industry at the time, but that list what it gave me was direct access to a target audience that bought Microsoft licensing, which is what the company that I was working for sold. So I quickly went from zero to hero. I was, you know, I had people from, you know, large banks calling me, asking me if they could discuss this um, special that I had on about RAM Microsoft licensing, open licensing. So it was, it was all about the the list that I had. Now what, what Sales Navigator has done for us is it just pinpoints your target audience. I mean, you can do so much with the system that we've put together. It is incredible and you can also track every person that you put through your LinkedIn Sales Navigator efforts. You can track those people and send them message after message after message after message until you believe that that is no longer and then they can basically move on uh, to a list that basically says not suitable. You don't even have to kick them off of your LinkedIn profile because as Keith says, right, 17 years. So imagine reaching out to someone for 17 years on LinkedIn. That's where I'm heading. That's where my head is. My head is no longer, a, oh, well, it doesn't work because a no is just the next step to a yes. So in most cases, daily outreach uh, doesn't work the way you want it to, because I know keynote speakers, right? And I'm gonna say it again, they want it all and they want it now, and it doesn't work like that. So my goal is for you is to try and change your mindset into thinking longer term. Um, so you send a message out and someone books you, that's not the way it works. It takes patience and persistence, and you need a methodology that allows you to track each of the people that you've reached out to. If you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And LinkedIn for many is a slapdash, Harry, mishmash kind of a, you know, stuff all over the place, people in your network. I mean, it gets very hard to track and remember or recall leads or conversations that you've had, even in a CRM, unless you've got that tweaked properly. 
and most of you be looking at the CRM that you're using now going, this doesn't make any sense to me. But there is a way through Sales Navigator that you can do this which requires about 10 hours a week to maintain, and that's your outreach and your maintenance. I mean, what I'm doing is as I'm getting connections coming through, I'm excited about someone connecting with me because that means, or receiving my first message, because that means they've now moved to another stage in the process. And when I've basically tagged these people as uh, received the connection, uh, first message received, I can then go on to the exciting part about building some rapport with them. And the message after that, I may even pitch or I may send something that is a little bit more geared towards getting some work, but it takes three or four little bits of you know interaction with that particular prospect. Then they will be seeing the keynote speaker, whoever we may be doing the outreach for, they'll be seeing their post, so their organic content strategy kicks in, and we get that 10 pieces that Kerwin Ray talks about, 10 to 20 times of, of, of seeing you on LinkedIn. They become comfortable with you. They know you're a reputable person, et cetera, et cetera. So the more hours you put in, the better results you get. And I'm very excited about social selling, conversational selling. It's definitely the way forward for keynote speakers. And if you don't know how to do it, you can jump onto the course and we'll show you, guide you through, and work with you on your own processes so you can get work through this. So how many of your LinkedIn connections are currently live? Just think about it. You've got 5,000 connections or 10,000 connections big deal. How many of those are you actually connecting with, talking with, building rapport with? I'm going to say less than 1%, but I could be wrong. But most people, that is the case. And I'm very particular about who I'm personally connecting with because like you and most people, I have thousands of contacts. And when I started, I thought it was a game of let's see who can get the most contacts, right? I don't want anyone looking at my LinkedIn profile seeing I've only got 300 contacts. So I'll ask you to think about this again. How many of your LinkedIn connections are live? People you can transact with, LinkedIn, with professional, sorry, if you, how many of your people do you have potential commercial connections with? Not just every Tom, Dick and Harry, Rita Pauline or Manuel or Mary that hits you up. I mean, I'm not taking any anyone in onto my personal LinkedIn profile unless there is some upside for both of us. It's gotta be two-way traffic. Excuse me. How's my arms going? I think I'm going pretty good. Michelle? Yeah. Michelle's over here clicking buttons, so she does a phenomenal job and has just really picked up this live stream stuff so well, which is why you can see me in a coffee cup at the moment. And I love coffee. Who loves coffee? Yay. All right, one more note about LinkedIn before I move on. Don't use smiley faces or thumbs up or anything like that when you or gifts when you're communicating with executives on LinkedIn leave it out if you're doing it right I don't need to spell it out maintain a professional attitude in everything you do when you are writing messages or conversing or sending people stuff when you're doing your LinkedIn outreach just remain professional at all times this is something that Matthew Pollard taught me and being the personality like I am, I like sending a little smiley face, you know, making feel, people feel good. Oh, they'll get it. They'll get me. But they, they actually don't. They're not, you've got to remember that they're not representing themselves. And if they're on Facebook or doing something socially without a commercial application involved, then there may be a place for that. But when you're actually dealing with people who you're going to be doing business with, that you are, they are going to bring you into their company, they want a professional every time, and they'll go with a professional over someone who's kind of like, you know, oh, you know, let's have a good time. And sure, it's good to have fun while you're working, but when you're doing the dance, you know, when you're inviting your prospective clients over to your part of the world, into your space, and you're saying, hey, bring me in, I'm a trusted authority in what I do, and I'm fully professional, you can't take chances by giving them the thumbs up sign. The thumbs up sign for mine should be taken off. I don't use it anymore uh, because I got a, probably got a, a, a swift kick up the, the pants with a soft pair of slippers from uh, one Mr. Pallard, Pallard at some stage for using it. And it's a great lesson for us all. Just leave it out. Okay, I said last week, and I'm going to say it every time, a couple of weeks ago, support your industry by supporting each other. I mean, the events industry will recover. I've no doubt about that. I'm sure we're all in the same boat. 
you know, vaccines, oh, I don't want to talk about COVID or pandemics or anything like that. I'm, I'm totally over it, as I'm sure you are. But I've been doing my level best to bring guests on the, to, to the shows that I produce, such as Motivational Mythbusters. And if, if you are online here and you haven't seen that show, jump on. Um, I'm really excited about where it's going with uh, Peter Turin and Laurie Montague, my co-hosts, and some of the guests that we've got lined up next year. We're going to have some superstars on next year, and I'm talking superstars. Why? Because we set goals for this show. This will be a long-running show. It's not going anywhere. We're going to be doing it week in, week out. But we've had people on like Nicole Santa from Events Buzz 360 last week. Now, if you're if you're in the business for a long time, jump on Events Buzz 360 and have a look what Nicole's doing. Um, so I'm sharing and liking as much as I possibly can on LinkedIn to show my support for the industry. Now, in the past, I've been of the opinion that I can only support you if you reciprocate the support I give. Um, and maybe I've been a bit heavy-handed in some areas of or my with my opinions, but. I just think that our personal differences and idiosyncrasies need to play a lesser role at this time while our industry is in recovery. And we do need to perhaps, um, you know, be a little bit more positive and move ahead with empathy. And Daniel, if you're listening, um, I love your stuff, mate. Um, if someone else is not playing the game and you like and share their posts with nothing in return, um, like their posts more, be supportive and kind of each other. It happened to me last week, a very high profile person, or reasonably high profile, I shared his stuff, didn't even get a like off him or a mention, and, and that's okay. I mean, it's just the way it goes. He may not be that prolific. Um, he may be good at posting on LinkedIn, but is not actually moving into the space where uh, he's supporting the, the rest of the industry, and that is fine. Okay, so we're, we're up to that point now where I'm gonna bring Michael in. Um, so I'm just gonna check with my producer that Michael is with us and we are good to go. All right, so let's. So today my guest is Michael Bohannis. Now I'm just going to bring Michael straight in. I met Michael online, uh, as we as we do, uh, not so much in a dating sense, but uh, certainly uh, from a respect um, point of view. Uh, Michael was uh, producing some phenomenal content, which I thought was valuable, certainly for keynote speakers, but also for business people as well. So let me bring Michael in. G'day, mate. How are you? Hey Terry, good day. How are you? <laughs> good, mate. So let's explain what first. My, my the accent. Yeah, was my So where are you exactly now in the world? So I am in Austria, which is a delight to be talking to you in Australia because many people in the world are mixing those two up. So we can now really make it clear: Austria here, Australia there. So do you want my version of the Austrian accent? Go for it. Well, they're going down the ski slopes tonight for a, for a good ski. No, is that a bit more German? <laughs> See, I go... Like the... Sorry? It sounded a bit like the Swedish chef from the Muppets. <laughs> well, I go straight to the ski slopes, right? Because I remember the the Olympics with uh, the famous Austrian skiers. I even forget the guy's name. Mayer? Yeah, that's the guy? There you go. Uh, yeah. So that's why I associate Austria with snow slopes and stuff. But that's not the case, right? You, you're living in which city? Well, I live close to Vienna, so we don't have many ski slopes here, but it's a one or two hours drive, so it's not too far. Right, and something you did as a youngster, I imagine, jumping up there on the ski slopes and wishing down the slopes, or you, you didn't go that route? Well, not uh, this year, you mean, not yet. I, I'm, still, I'm still here to do that. We haven't had much snow yet. Okay, good. Okay, let's move on. So when we, when we sort of joined online, as I said, I... I I was really impressed by the articulation that you were able to produce uh, through LinkedIn, through your LinkedIn messages. And uh, firstly, you want to just talk a little about what, what you do and what your business is. Sure, absolutely. So I help people to find clients on LinkedIn and I say, I want them to develop the skills to just talk to them naturally, get them on the phone and sell them the service. And it's especially this talk to them naturally that is apparently a little bit difficult for some people because as soon as they get online they get a little bit stilted and especially when you're at the beginning of your business when you you know are making less than ten thousand dollars a month for example outbound messaging will be the main thing that will get you clients and that is this is what i have people to develop as a skill content matters as well 
yeah. but less so in the beginning than than outbound messaging. So I help my clients to develop that skill. And this comes under the heading of social selling or conversational selling. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, how that's pervaded the marketplace since you know both you and I were probably on the phone or you know doing sales in a different sense um, even up to three or four years ago? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting how. Um, a lot of marketing up until a couple of years ago tended to simply just be broadcasting a message. And yes, there were many ways how you could make it very specific, you know, and targeted. But it still is a two, sorry, it's a one-way communication. Hey, we have this amazing tool. Check it out. Hey, we have this amazing ebook. You know, it's always this one-sided communication. And what conversational selling has brought in is replicating the feeling that you get and the experience you get when you meet somebody at an industry event, for example. You meet them at a, over a, that's why I call it the cocktail party scenario, right? You would not start a conversation in a cocktail party by saying, hi there, I'm Michael, and I have an amazing ebook that I think you should check out. I mean, they would, they would run away from you, rightly so. And conversational selling has introduced this element that you can you know, start building rapport. You say, hey, I see you posted something really interesting. I wanted to ask you about that. What do you think about Google? And then you just you know, start a conversation like a human would. And this is the amazing thing that LinkedIn has provided us because the amount of information you find about someone that can serve as the basis for building rapport, it's just spectacular. And yeah, yeah so I, I conversation is... So, so obviously, you you know, I've noticed some of your, you've had some prickly conversations that I'm very interested in how you handle those and, and you do it really well. But this is, a, this is a numbers game, right, Michael? So it's not something where if you do it 10 times, you're probably not going to get a result. So, so what, type of, um, what, what type of numbers are we talking about with regards to how consistent do you have to be with regards to your LinkedIn outreach? Yeah, I'm happy to share my numbers. I have them right in front of me here. So my accept ratio, so reaching out to completely cold prospects is 72%. Then my first message response ratio is 61%. And then the first message to getting them on the call is 14%. Okay, so I start 100 conversations and I get 14 calls out of that out of which approximately two maybe become clients because those are early stage screening calls. So that's that. So out of 100 conversation starts, you maybe get between one and two clients. And so that overall, if you just count all of that up, it's probably 20 to 30 hours of time invested conversation that takes to get a client. Which is phenomenal when you, when you put that up against a traditional sales model. I know yep. that we would do hundreds of calls and and the problem with with the phone in the phone days was that you'd have gatekeepers, you'd have voicemail, you'd have uh, you know people not answering the phones or leaving a message not coming back, but we don't have that problem here, right? That is correct. We don't have that problem. We have other problems, right? So for example, on LinkedIn, uh, sometimes target audiences are just not very present. They're not active. Right. I am, for example, lucky that my target audience, which is coaches, consultants, small B2B, are very active on LinkedIn. But there are, for example, I work with a real estate client whose clients are not as active. Of course, their deal sizes are huge. So they can, of course, spend way more time on any individual new prospect that they have. Right. But still, it's the same principle. You just find out something about them. You just need to find a good angle to start the conversation. They will definitely not get a 61% first message response ratio, no way. But they don't need that much because their deal size is 200 grand. And so it's perfectly okay if their response rate is lower. So it's all a numbers game. You're correct. It is a numbers game, but it's pretty good. So pretty good numbers game. I know that you know I'm working with one speaker at the moment, and he's, he's up around 40% connection rate. Um, we're using video uh, as as the as as the connection message there without 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 a pitch, more or less just sort of introducing and saying hi. What do you think the secret to your uh, high success rate for first connection? Because that's 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 very high. Yeah. Well, first of all, I know people who have even higher accept rates, but they are usually selling to salespeople who accept practically anyone. 
but uh, in my niche it's it's relatively rare and the reason why mine is high is because i do take the time to connect with people over content right so it's not that there's two strands how you can find out something about people if you go via sales navigator you find demographic data about them job you know company size and uh, you know previous employment history and so on and then there's the content side People are engaging with content on LinkedIn. And what do you think is a stronger element for them? What is What are they more passionate about? Content. Their job title? Yep. But content, exactly, content. So if you start a conversation with someone saying, hey, I saw you recently commented on this post. I wanted to ask you a question about that. How many do you think will respond? That's the secret. It just takes a bit more time. Yes, it is more labor intensive, but the connection rate is through the roof. And the key thing is, and it's really, really important, is that not only the connection rate is up, you now have something to talk about. Like when I at a cocktail party, if anything you know, if the only thing you know about a person is that they're an HR manager, right? It's pretty bad because like, how do you strike up a conversation? Hey, so uh, how is HR managering these days? Ha ha. You know, it's, you cannot start a real conversation. But if you know that they really love mindfulness meditation, that's a great start because they declare themselves, they love mindfulness. So you can say, hey, so what kind of mindfulness practice do you do? I'm curious. Boom, you're in a conversation. That makes it's a lot of content. sense. And as you said, like if you went to a cocktail party, you wouldn't walk up to someone and say, hi, my name's Terry, let's get on a call. I think you might need my services. <laughs> and this is, a, so, so what, are, what are some of the common mistakes that are made when people are doing first connection messages, Michael? So I think the mistakes can be firmly placed in two categories and they're on extremes of a spectrum. One is the pitch slappers, you know, who just think that the only way how you can start a conversation is by immediately presenting you with their offer. Otherwise your attention will be gone, which is terrible. You cannot sell someone something if you haven't built rapport with them. And yes, I know it's a volume game. And so people will say that about, I do this and I spam 500 people, I get one client out of that. Yes, that's possible. But you will annoy the remaining 499, you will destroy your personal brand. So that is one mistake. And the other mistake, which I empathize with much more because I myself used to be very scared of selling. And I'm happy to actually, I, it's a really interesting topic, uh, I hope at least, that how I overcame that, but because selling was a huge issue for me, but they are uh, scared to bring anything up that could come across as salesy. And they just have endless rapport building conversations until the other person gets bored. You know, so you just ask about, um, you know, something that they said in the content and so on, and then they just keep going at it, keep going at it, while it's already has been time to kind of bring up a little bit more, you know, let's talk business here. So people overdoing the rapport building phase, that's the other side of the spectrum of mistakes. Yes, I, I noticed a guy, you know, the pitch slappers you talked about, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the guys that do, you know, lead generation and stuff like that, they're quite aggressive. I noticed on Matthew's feed last week, my, Matthew basically says, no thanks, you know, like quite politely. And the guy comes back and says, but if I could really, really show you how to get more leads and how to get more business, you know, do you think you could change your mind, you know? So that sort of approach doesn't work because there's no rapport built there at all, is there, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is, especially in services like these where it's about lead generation, the, the only reason why somebody will work with you is because they somewhat like you as a person. Right? There has to be a certain level of connectedness. And that's why, by the way, it's so important to uh, be on video, to regularly do video. So, I mean, kudos to you that you're doing uh, so much video yourself and, and the, 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 the clips from your podcast are just very interactive and I love all the visuals in it. That's important because you are introducing your unique flavor that you bring to the world. And that is so important in any high competition in, in any comp competitive space. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about this thing you touched on, fear of sales, because that is something that's prevalent in most people who come into business, do so off the back of a passion of some kind. And often 
they won't understand the basics of sales and marketing and they will stumble through it and very often will actually die a tragic death because they're not willing to learn something about sales. So what is fear of sales? Why does it happen? And how can people overcome it? So I'm going to help your audience now overcome their fear of selling in two minutes. Okay. So the main problem with a fear of selling is because you in your mind are thinking that you are taking something away from them. And the key to reframe is to look at it from the point of view, you have a mission. You have a mission in your business to make the world a better place. You do it in your own unique way. So my mission is to help people to start and grow their business because I love entrepreneurship because it is a great way to free yourself in terms of financial freedom, but also, and even more importantly, mind freedom, right? So you can be an independent thinker. This is why I do what I do. And therefore, because I have a strong mission and I know that I can help people, I want to help as many people as possible. And with that, because I know that my mission is good, I'm 100% bought into it, I love what I do. With such a mission, it would be foolish for me to not want to sell to someone if I believe that I can help them. That's crucial. You only should be selling to someone who you know you can help. That's why all those pitch slappers make the mistake of not qualifying anyone. They, they don't know whether this is a person for whom this is a priority. But once I have established that you are someone who's in the market for my solution, then I will definitely sell you and I do it perfectly gladly and with absolutely no remorse because I know that I can get you those amazing results. And this is, if you frame it in this way, not you taking from them, taking money from them, but giving them the opportunity to grow in whichever way that is, whether that's through growing their business, of losing weight, of speaking on stage because you can inspire their audience and so on, whatever it is, you're bringing amazing value into the world. And if you're serious about your mission, it would be foolish for you to hold it back. So don't hold it back from the world, but bring it into it, add it. And that is how I, once I understood that, and it took me many years to kind of piece that together from many different sources. Once I've understood that, I just completely lost the, the hesitation to start a conversation and to turn it more commercial. Hey, so I saw that you're doing this and this. How is uh, lead gen going for you? Boom, you're in the conversation. So I guess it's that fear as well of rejection. You know, it's the old story about being at the school dance and asking the girl for a dance and being rejected. It that pervades into sales as well, I've found. And, you know, with conversational selling, the rejection is nowhere near as, uh, I guess, you know, harsh as it could be on the phone or at the school dance when the girl just goes like no in front of everybody um so so do we have to get better at conversations do we have to practice our conversations is there a way of improving what we're saying how we're saying it to elicit a more favorable response from the prospects that we're reaching out to yes it's simply a matter of practice. Practice including a solid framework that is under underneath it. And the framework that I mean is that every conversation has a natural flow, a natural progression, especially with a stranger, obviously, right? So a conversation with a stranger usually starts with some level of rapport building. And in the, you are from Britain originally, and we talk about the weather, right? So you've established a little bit of familiarity by building rapport. And then you go into exploration mode where you kind of gently transition into the area of, well, let's see if this is a person for whom my service is a priority or the area that I sell in is a priority. And let's explore. Is this a problem for them? This is the only thing you want to find out in the exploration phase. And they may tell you, and most of the times they tell me implicitly or explicitly, no, this is not an issue I, I have a problem with. I have enough work. I have enough clients or this is currently not a priority for me. I'm, I'm now looking at other things to improve in the business. So you get plenty of rejection, but it's, it's not a rejection. It's simply they are telling you the truth. This is one thing to also think about 
when you're in conversation, you are not trying to sell to them. You are on a mission to find the truth and the truth of whether they are in the market for your solution or not. I think that is so, that is the point, isn't it? It's it's the point of conversation selling is not about going in there like we talked about at the cocktail party. It's about going in there, finding something that you have in common with that person or maybe that you can, uh, you know, comment on one of their posts. Why is it that people respond to this more than a pitch slap? Well, because you are taking them seriously as people. A pitch slap is treating the other person as a number in a funnel. And sometimes when you, you're taking more risks when you're having the rapport version, you're, you're risking embarrassment. Maybe you don't hit the tone right. Maybe you make a remark that ticks them off. I sometimes, I'm trying to be quite jocular, so I'm, I'm trying to joke quite a lot. And sometimes I just miss the mark and the person not blocks me. That hasn't happened yet. But they like, oh, this is rude. Please don't message me again or something like this. Because I just didn't hit the tone. They were in a bad mood or something like this. I don't remember rude. But essentially, where just people say, just please stop. Let, leave me alone. Right? So, okay. Sometimes it doesn't matter. And you're going to get people as well with contrary views. I noticed a couple of the conversations that you handled very well. But these, do these conversations lead um, sometimes lead to, to sales? Or is it when someone comes across and says, oh, yeah, but, you know, you could do it this way, you could do it that way. How do you find, how do you find that when, when someone is? Because I know, look, it's not a perfect world, and we wish that everybody had a beautiful personality and a, and a great sense of, uh, uh, I guess, you know, like a collaboration and so on and so forth. But how do you handle those situations? Because the reason I say that, Michael, is that I know the fear that, that, that uh, reaching out to people puts in people's hearts and minds. And if we can allay that fear, just to let them know a little bit that it's it's not as bad. I mean, no one's ever no one's ever said anything really derogatory to me ever, other than asking me a question about the things I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so there's many things to unpack here. First of all, <clears throat> the the I don't know which uh, conversation you refer to that was somewhat controversial, but I can tell you of one specific instance where I was really going at it with someone in a comment thread. And by the way, I don't recommend it. It's a waste of time. Nobody goes that deep into a comment thread. So I was just kind of indulging a folly in this case, but I was really going at it with one guy. He just now booked a call for Thursday. I, today, the, the booking came in. So anything can happen as long as you do it respectfully and you don't call each other names anything can happen and I try to absolutely always stay extremely respectful even if with people who I disagree fundamentally with right. so that's that's one point and then sorry go ahead no go go I'm fine and, and then the good thing about LinkedIn is or at least I have uh, this is my experience it never goes as personal or as political as it goes on Facebook that's why one, another one good reason why LinkedIn is preferable to me. People are more professional because there's more at stake, right? So you don't want to go too crazy, whatever, into conspiracy theories and so on if you know that kind of your professional's reputation is tied up to your profile. So that is my experience that it, it's relatively, it stays very civilized. Okay. So I noticed the post you did, uh, I think it was yesterday, where you said, right, if I was going to start from scratch on LinkedIn, and a lot of people, uh, you know, even though they'll run through the why don't you go and get book course, they're still immobilized because, you know, in keynote speaking, there are so many elements to get prepared uh, before they actually go to market. So if someone is starting off, can you maybe give us a shortened version of what they might do? Um, with regards to, uh, you know, okay, so they've got a hundred connections and they maybe have, have their profile up. Well, what are some of the steps that they can take to be more effective through the LinkedIn platform? Okay, good. Very, very good. Good question. So first of all, I assume that your main goal here is to get new clients rather than build an audience and become a LinkedIn celebrity, right? So it's clients, speaking engagement, whatever it is, but paid work. That is your goal. My suggestion is that you 
uh, the 80% of your results will come from your outreach and how you conduct conversations, then 20% will come from your content because you simply don't yet have that audience. So what I would do is have a great profile, really optimize the profile for so that people really clearly know what you do. You have a clear call to action, ideally a testimonial or two, and you convey social proof in your background image. Have a professional headshot and have a, a background image, maybe you're speaking in front of a crowd as a, as a social proof element. So once that's done, you start adding people. You can add up to 50 people. So focus on those in your target audience. You can find them via sales navigator. I recommend that you add them by first looking at their profile, seeing what they are up to, what they're commenting on, what they're posting, and then making a reference to that so that you so that they see that you have actually taken a look at them. You add, let's say, up to 50 people each day, and then you start conversations. As I mentioned, that progression, rapport building, exploration, and once they say at the end of the exploration that they have a problem that you could help them with, offer them a call and emphasize that you don't pitch on calls, right? That tends to be a good uh, method. So that is, this is what I would recommend for outbound. In terms of content, just make sure you have something on there every, ideally every day, you put out one post that adds value to your audience. Do not make calls to action in that post. Just share stuff that you find interesting that you also know that your target audience will find interesting. And again, the most results will come from your uh, outreach. You can strengthen that by also commenting on people's posts. Not just liking them, but also commenting them and leaving thoughtful comments. Something supportive, but maybe something that adds a different angle. This kind of further pads that relationship that you have with the person and will make them much more likely to respond to your conversation. And initially, as you're doing these conversations, aim to simply get them on the phone so you can ask them questions. They're in your target market and you want them to simply have a conversation so that you understand where that need is so that you can tailor your offer accordingly. And that was what I would recommend that you do if you're completely starting from scratch. Does it make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So with regards to your organic content strategy and your LinkedIn outreach activity, what is the balance in time around? How much are you spending a week on each of those? We oui, good question. Uh, I would say I spend I would say 40% of my time on new client acquisition uh, and 30% on serving existing clients and 30% on improving the product. Okay. That's probably right, yeah. How does that break down? I mean, are we talking, are we talking you sitting at the computer and then, and obviously I know that you do your, are you, do, do you script your messages or do you, do you just, um, find something that has come up through the course of your business dealings with your clients and think, I, I really need to pitch that. How do you come up with your, you know, your bits and pieces that I see all over uh, the internet? So you mean content or my first messages to your people? Content, like your, your content, because I know oh. this video aspect is very important. I mean, we talked about Shea Rowbottom, right? I'm actually writing a song at the moment called I Wish I Could Vibe It Like Shea Rowbottom because I just think she is absolutely you know, I, I think she's an oracle in this in this space. And um, we both talked about Shay before, and even now I know that you know some of their proteges that are coming up, like John, and so on, providing great content for people. And uh, you know, we're not all we don't all um, you know have the personality of a Shay Rowbottom, but we can certainly learn a lot from them. So that's why I ask you the question because I do like your posts because they are so articulate. So how do you create your post, and is there much thought put into it? Or is it something that comes from you know, just a spare of the moment sort of a vibe where you go, right, I need to, I need to put this down and you turn the camera on and, and you do it. So what, a really important point that I would recommend everybody uh, to do is have one file. I have it as a Google spreadsheet and have it instantly accessible so that you just open a new tab and you just type the name of the file so that you can add an idea because sometimes an idea comes and you quickly want to put it down. Don't lose it and just snap. put it into that spreadsheet. Snap, same here. Just wanted to, right. I just wanted to frank that absolutely what I do. Yeah. So that is super key. And in terms of my own videos, 
I, I just keep a tally of, for example, um, here I have these little post-it notes that I have next to the window where I record uh, my videos. And I just, whatever I come up with during the day, I just put it on a post-it note, I put it on that windowsill. And um, then it takes me probably three or four attempts. I just speak, I record, and then I, um, I record myself. And it takes me three to four attempts to get it right. And then I, yeah, just add the add the captions, which is pretty quick. And then then that's it. And the topics, and that's that's very important that when you do your own content, the topics need to come from conversations you've had with clients or prospects. Anything that you know that kind of bothers them or that is an issue for them or anything that they are wrong about. All right. For example, uh, what was it? Today's post was inspired by something that someone was wrong about. I'm just, it's, I'm, I'm blanking on it, but that that's key. Yeah, exactly. That executives tell me very often that they don't have time for LinkedIn. So I just, sometimes I do a bit of a rant saying how silly that is. And then I, that's what I did today. So it always should come in form from your target audience. Never just something that you just come up with. Oh, I think that's a great topic. You don't know. Yeah. I, you're, I agree. You're, and that post that resonated with me because I, I did comment on that and I did mention that that uh, for people like you and I in this in this area, it's just a huge opportunity. And I think it pervades from, you know, well, I'm 60, Michael, right? So you don't have to say you only look 40, Terry. That's all right. I don't mind. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of my age group being totally technically uh, inept when it comes to social media. I mean... One of my clients who's not in a speaking came to me and said, I love what you're doing in the speaking space. Can you show me how to do social selling for my business? And, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously th there is a huge market out there for, for people to learn how to socially sell. And it's not surprising because it's something that's quite new, isn't it, Michael? It's not, it's not something that's been around for, uh, particularly the way we're articulating social selling and conversation selling now. So what can we see in the future and how much business do you think is going to be generated in the future through online selling? Well, first of all, we have to say that social selling is, uh, I may disagree with you a little bit there. It is new in the form that it is happening, but ultimately LinkedIn is what you do when you're a good person who works a room, right? Yeah. LinkedIn is working the room you come in you overhear a few people talking about something you join them you you make a funny comment that makes people at ease and so on then you say oh, i'm just gonna go and quickly pick up some carrot sticks i'll be back and on the way there you just meet another group of people hey john you're awesome yo you look man did you lose weight what the hell? and so this is linkedin this is social selling okay and that's why you simply add an electronic, the digital layer over it, but it is the same thing. And that's what I'm trying to kind of to inculcate in my clients that you just do what you would do if you're in a really good positive mood at a party where you're just loving your life. That's why I just love being on LinkedIn, to be honest. So that's just that, uh, that, that thing that it's not completely new. It's just a new format that we're, that we're in. So, sure. um, just that as an introduction what do you think about that does, does, does that resonate it does it does it makes perfect sense because i'm i've been working linkedin for a long time now and but but not the way we've been working it in the last 12 to 14 months we have a guy here in australia you may want to have a look at some of his material kerwin ray and i did a, a kerwin ray uh, course around about five months ago i think with one of the people that uh, we work with and uh, I learned a heck of a lot from there. It really perked my interest in social selling, what it's about. But Michael, if people want to engage with you, because I know you've got a tremendous uh, course and that you provide great services, what's the best way for anyone out there who's looking to become more proficient in social selling? Because I uh, do not specialize like you do in this area, which is why I wanted to have you on because I've learned a lot from you. And uh, if you watch some of my shows, you probably think, oh, he's using some of my material. Um, but I always try and give, uh, you know, credit where credit's due by having you on the show. But because I definitely have stolen a little bit from Shay and a little bit from Michael and a little bit from this person and so on to try and give the people that I'm working with more value. So how can they engage with you, mate? 
first of all, thank you very much for the compliment. And we all are stealing with pride, right? I mean, this information is out there. As Shea Robotum herself has said, there is no new information. Everything is just rehashed and repurposed and recombined and so on. So everything has been out there. So I'm, I feel very privileged and honored that you, if you end up using some of my stuff for yourself, but please feel free, go ahead. It's really all in the implementation rather than the knowing of the how-to, right? It's really just the doing because you're going to make mistakes, so you better make your own mistakes. So I feel, I feel honored that you're using my stuff. Um, that said, if somebody wants to work with me, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's the, probably the easiest way. Uh, Michael Bohanas is my name. You can see it in the, in, in the bottom section here, Michael without an E. And I'd love to have a chat and see if I can help. Promise no pitching. That's simple as that. Awesome, mate. Well, look, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully we can get you on again, uh, maybe, um, you know, next year sometime. You'd like to come on and, and contribute contribute something else. But thank you very much for being on the show today, Michael Bahanas. And uh, know that we'll be talking online and so on and so forth. But in the meantime, have a great day in Austria, mate. Thank you so much, Terry. Good no day. Worries. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Yeah, mate, uh, really enjoyed that. And I'm sure you got a lot out of it as well. Um, I know sometimes my volume's a little bit down, so I have to excuse me. Yeah, well done, Michael. Very good. And I consider Michael as a friend now. Um, we've spent, you know, quite a bit of time together there. And I do really respect what Michael does. He is a very articulate man. I'm sure you agree. And I know you probably got a lot out of it. Okay, so we've come to the end of the show. And I just want to... Um, wish everybody um, a happy uh, festive season or a silly season however you're gonna frame that um, you know Christmas is a time where we can as I said take the foot off a little bit for a couple of days but make sure that you're that you've got your mind on the game as Laurie Montague says keep your mind on the game at all times and don't let the Christmas lights um, distract you too much because Next year is a year of opportunity for you as a keynote speaker. There are going to be hybrid events. We're going to really get to start seeing some of the uplift in uh, virtual events. Uh, there's that word er again. But I just wanted to take this opportunity to wish you, your family, and everyone around you a happy, happy Christmas and a very successful new year. This is the last show for the year, but we'll catch up again probably the second week in January. Uh, have a great uh, year, guys, for the rest of the year. Have a wonderful Christmas. Cheers to you, and we'll see you later. Why don't you go and get booked?